0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about something today that, I don't know if you've been looking at any of these cornfields that are still standing, but stock rot is very prevalent this year. And this has been one of those things where a lot of farmers that I talk to, and I say, oh man, you got some stock rot issues. They're like, no way, we've been dry, we haven't been wet I see stock rot when we're really, really wet. Well, you can see it when you're really dry as well. Anytime you've got stress on that corn plant, you could have a stock rot issue showing up. And it's kind of like you. Just think about it this way. If you had, let, let's just say you're harvesting and it's nice every day, but you know there's snow coming next week and, or or heavy rains or a hurricane or whatever the, the bad weather is, depending on where your, your geography is. You know, bad weather's coming, but the weather's great right now for harvest. What do you do? You work almost 24 7. Of course, you do. Everybody does that. And then what happens? The next week, you're sick. Well, wait a second. Why are you sick the next week? It's not because of the rain or the hurricane or the snow or whatever. It's because your body got worn down. And it's the same thing here with crops. When we have crops that get worn down with bad weather, there it's too hot, it's too dry, you know, all those kinds of things, that's when these other pathogens get in there and we end up with stalk rot issues in corn, among other things. So lots of different stalk rats out there and I guess it's not super important that you know one from the other necessarily as much as you're just aware of the whole situation and you say, okay, so what can I do for stalk rats? And it's a lot like many of the other problems that we face in our crops. If we can reduce stress, we can have less problems. So if we balance our fertility, right, if we're using crop rotation, so it isn't corn on corn where we've got lots and lots of pressure there. um, You know, if we can use good seed treatments, we can use fungicides in furrow. I mean, there's so many things we can do, but it also comes down to, can we keep bugs from feeding on our plants? Many of the stock rot fields that I'm visiting this year, I'm finding corn rootworm feeding on the roots. And more corn rootworm feeding than I've seen in a while. Whenever we've got an open wound on the plant anywhere, that's a spot where disease can get in. And it doesn't have to. You don't have to have that. There's plenty of natural openings for these Uh, pathogens to get in. But when you've got big chunks of root that are missing and ripped open, because you've got just a tremendous amount of rootworm pressure out there, you're going to have more issues too. So I would add to this, and I realize this doesn't do anything straight up for the stock rot, but I would add to my management program, better insect control. So if you've got rootworms, then maybe it's, I need to go to a smart sex hybrid and I need insecticide. Or if you've got white grubs, hey, you know what? I need a high rate of insecticide out there. I'm going to have a lot of feeding. Or if you've got wireworms, I need to do something different. The neonics are more repellent than they are killing the wireworms. So may need something in addition to just that high rate of seed treatment that I've got on my plant. So there are just a lot of things around stock rot. And right now, if you've got corn in the field and you're hearing me talk about stock rot, and you're saying, oh, man, Darren, don't make me nervous. I got corn out there to go and it's going to take me a week or it's going to take me a month or however long it's going to be. Don't get me all nervous about this. Look, I'm not saying you have stock rot everywhere. Maybe it's just in a couple of pockets out in the field. I'll give you an example. We've got some spots on our farm that, up until the last decade here, were kind of poorly drained. Uh, well, beyond kind of, they were they were horribly drained, and we would see stock rot issues show up in those pockets, or we would see Phytophthora or Pythium issues show up in those pockets in other crops as well, not just corn. So we knew. If we're getting a year like this where, man, we aren't going to get harvest done, we've got corn out there, let's go check those areas first. And we may have to go to those spots and harvest before anything else because we're worried about stuff standing up. If you say, oh, I don't have any of those spots, there, My fields lay flat, uh, but they kind of all slope and I, I don't have any drainage worries at all. I don't have a big history of disease. What should I do? Well, then I just walk out in the cornfield and do a couple of things. So what I like to do is the pinch test. So I go about, you know, I'd say 18 inches up from the ground, maybe 12 to 18 inches up from the ground, and I'll pinch in between nodes and just see, do I have any stocks that I can squeeze with my fingers? If I can squeeze that stock, if it's not hard, I'm worried about that. Now, then I would split some stocks open and just see how bad it is. If I could get there in a week or two, maybe I'm fine. Maybe it's so bad that I want to get there today. I know I had one of those fields. Uh, it was Boy, just a couple of years after college, I get a call from my dad and I was living about an hour away from our home farm. And he called on a Sunday or a Saturday night and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I thought, well, the obvious answer is to tell him, well, I'm definitely going to church tomorrow and I'm not sure what else I'm going to be doing. And he's like, well, OK, what time's your church? How soon can you be at the farm? I'm like, what are you talking about? he said, I, I need you to come up. We're going to harvest on Sunday. And I, I said, we never harvest on Sundays. He's like, yeah, I just was out in, in one of our fields and the stalks are so soggy and we've got wind that's supposed to be 40 miles an hour the next day. He said, this is our shot. It's still standing. We could take it. Let, let's go do it. And and so we ended up doing it that day. So I, I would just say, you've got to get out there, do a pinch test. That'll be one indication. But I've got other guys that, that have all kinds of variations of this pinch test I I was talking to one agronomist and he said well I use the shovel test and I said oh you do some digging he goes no I don't dig I push plants with the shovel so what do you mean he said I just walk up between two rows of corn I turn I, I just take so many steps so I'm kind of being random as I'm going through the field I'll turn and I'll push that shovel against all the plants till they're at about a 45 and then I'll pull it back and I'll see how many of them snap And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's another way to do it, too. His thought was, if I had a heavy wind, that's about how far the wind is blowing them, and I'm just going to see what's going to happen. But you can do whatever kind of test you want. If you've got stock rats out there, the big thing is find them, see where you're at, and get the harvest done before stuff's on the ground. Because this time in harvest is when all the calls come in of something blew over last night. Why? What's going on out there? And StockRot is definitely going to be one of the culprits this year. We're also taking your calls and questions today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be
1: right back. A lot can happen between fall anhydrous ammonia applications and early corn growth the following spring. NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer protects nitrogen between fall applications until critical corn growth stages, helping produce maximum yield at harvest. Fall applied applications of NSERV have been proven to increase yield by 7% on average. Nitrogen is one of your most expensive inputs each season. Protect that investment with NSERV. For more information, contact your local retailer or visit nitrogenmaximizers.com.
3: It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5VC is a selective, contact herbicide for post emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide resistant strains. Tough 5VC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5VC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5VC or visit belchumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I sound excited, but the topic that we're discussing today is a tough one. Stock rot and corn. If you've got stock rot, if you've had it over the years, you know what I'm talking about. It's no fun when all of a sudden you see maybe it's one stock out of 10. Maybe it's a little worse than that. Maybe it's patches in the field or, or it could even be the whole field and they start breaking over that's no fun. It's no fun. It makes it really difficult to harvest and oftentimes we see a lot of loss out there. So I want to talk about if you're seeing it this year, here's what you can do going forward. We're going to give you some good ideas and and one of them um, got our friend Brandon Trage on right now with FMC. Uh, One of them is a new product and I wanted to talk to Brandon about a little bit. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Darren. Hey, I want to talk to you about Zyway. And I know, I know, I know some guys are saying, wait a second, Darren, this isn't a miracle problem. Every disease or product, every disease you have, you say, I wonder what Zyway would do on that. But, you know, we've got this fungicide that moves that much in the plant. And I I just think, what what are the possibilities if we can improve plant health right from planting time? So talk to us about this product, Zyway.
2: Sure. Well, the the whole concept behind it, as you know, is to be proactive rather than reactive because once that stock rot sets in, and I don't care if it's, you know, an anthracnose or a fusarium, once that inoculum takes hold, there's really not a whole lot we can do because it's established in that pith, it's in that vascular tissue. So the idea behind Zyway is get in there first. Get a barrier up. It's xylem mobile and it has a very long residual. So the idea is that before that inoculum can take hold, we're already there. Um. Obviously, our cultural practices kick in, but this is something that guys can take that extra step to make sure that they're not getting any severe lodging later in the season. All
0: right. What are you seeing in ziway this year? We're starting to see some yield data coming back, and our farmer is nine bushels better, and that's pretty cool. Uh, have you seen much yield data in Nebraska or nationwide?
2: Sure. So yeah. Uh- at least in the Great Plains, in the Midwest, we're still wide open in terms of, in terms of uh, harvest, so we got a lot of guys still getting stuff submitted. Um, just here in Polk, Nebraska, we were ranging from 2 to 14 bushels above, so the ROI is certainly there. What surprised me, though, is that we didn't have a whole lot of foliar disease this year. Um, I, I thought we were really setting ourselves up to get a lot of gray leaf spot, a lot of northern corn leaf blight, and I've been hearing that overall disease pressure is down, but the the yield benefit is still there. And one thing I have noticed is especially in Eastern Nebraska is seeing some stalk rots. So it's not just about disease protection or disease uh, you know, protection, it's about the whole, protecting the whole plant. Um, and so if we can maintain that stalk integrity, even if it's not necessarily preventing a disease, it might help us with harvestability. It's gonna help with standability and reduce some of the losses that we might take on that back end.
0: All right, we've had a lot of calls about corn rootworm this year and just pressure ridiculous levels in some areas, just tons and tons of rootworm feeding. And so one of the things that I've had for for a question this summer has been, or this fall, has been, okay, I'm not set up to apply a fungicide in furrow like we're talking about or a fungicide at planting, at two-by-two wherever, and I'm also not set up to put on rootworm insecticide. I've been doing, you know, just – smart stacks or something like that to try to manage it or crop rotation, whatnot. Talk to us about this Thrive 3D system, Brandon. We've got one on our planter. I can talk about it, but I'm kind of curious, what are you seeing about the Thrive 3D system? And is that a consideration for growers for next year for not only protecting against diseases, but also protecting against bugs?
2: Well, it is. And the best thing about the Thrive system is efficiency. And so when we think of a liquid and furrow system, or like you said, two by two, whatever it might be, you know, that's a substantial amount of gallonage that's going in. We're having to refill quite often. What the Thrive 3D system does is uses air as a carrier. So almost like a Barbersol shaving cream, it comes out like foam. The idea is that you're hauling around less water. You spend less time refilling. And what we have is a number of the products that guys know and love, uh, whether it be the Capture, the Zyway, the Ethos, that is also available in that Thrive system. And so in doing so, we're going to have a lot less time filling, Um, obviously time management I mean what we also see is a little bit better coverage within that furrow because it's going to dissipate when it hits dry material or that soil and it's going to spread throughout and around that seed and so we see really good efficacy with it and like I said it's going to have some time savings associated as well
0: Okay, one thing that I, I was talking with Gail Stratman about this during the season, and, yeah. and there were a couple of guys that were saying, you know, all right, we saw a little bit of uneven emergence where we had Zyway in the furrow this spring. And for our own farm, we we did a bunch of checks, we did a bunch of trial work, as I already mentioned, we had a nine bushel gain. Did we see a slightly different emergence with the crop? We did. We saw a few plants that were just a little bit uneven, and I, I realized that's going to happen, but that's not necessarily going to destroy. Our yields. What did you see when we got in a two by two, when we went through the Thrive system? Because what we kind of pinned it down to is we were putting on a low rate of liquid and it was kind of glugging it out there when we were dropping it in furrow. Where it, it would, sp- if you're doing five or 10 gallons an acre, that's not very many drops of water. And so when we were mixing it up, we'd see drop, 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 and then we'd have a little space and then drop, drop, drop. And so we thought maybe we were getting different concentrations in each plant. What, what's been your observation? Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: exactly right. You know, we're trying to get the consistency—it's a systemic product, right? It's a systemic, a systemic synthetic chemistry. And so, anytime we have an abrasive spring, you know, some sort of level of crop response can be expected. But what we found, and especially after going back to the drawing board this year, is what we found is that if we can just pull that either half an inch off the seed, and there's a lot of different ways to do that, then we completely mitigate those issues. So whether it be, like you said, two by two, we're looking at furrow jets, wide drop, there's still a plethora of ways to get out there. And of course, the Thrive system, we have no issues with the Thrive system that I've seen in my area because 90% of that carrier is air. And so we're not having the consistency issues like you described. And so while the benefit always seems to be on the back end and we're always really pleased with the harvest monitor, the last thing we want to do is spook guys in the spring with uneven emergence. And so taking it a little off that seed just or using the Thrive system completely mitigates that.
0: Yeah, and I, I also mentioned this too. We do have, full disclosure everyone, we do have a Thrive 3D system. We've been using it for capture. We've been putting out rootworm insecticide that way and now we can do some Zyway that way too and I do really like that foam. It seems to, to really get some great coverage throughout our furrow and I don't know if that's what it takes to, to get the most out of any product that we're going to put that way. We're going to keep doing it. And I do like you mentioned the efficiency. Uh, it's kind of a one-time-a-day uh, one fill-up and plant all day. That's been a really nice thing, too.
2: Exactly. And to kind of tie all the topics together, you know, one of the things we know is that corn rootworm can actually vector fusarium. And so when we're thinking about, okay, how do I get insect protection? How do I prevent stalk rots? The idea is to not cut corners. And so whether it's the application system or the FMC uh, chemistry, the idea is that we try to get protection on all fronts because not controlling rootworms can contribute to stock rots, and we want to make sure we don't have problems with either.
0: Hey, great stuff. Brandon Schrage with FMC. Thank you so much, Brandon. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Let's head out to Wyoming. Got Walter on with us right now with a question about uh, bailing up corn stalks. Walter, how are you doing?
2: Very good today. Thank you. All right yeah, yeah, yeah you got a good topic there, but uh I did a lot of traveling here in the last uh two weeks across the upper nebraska and uh, and uh, Iowa on twenty and back from Chicago on eighty uh and I see the corn harvest looks pretty good, but I don't see many I don't see nobody bailing any corn stocks with the uh prices of hay and stuff this year why. Is there a reason they like to keep them corn stalks on the field, or? or
0: well, that's a good that's what's a your, good question. What's your take? I, well, I, I'll say this from our own farm. So we we don't bale corn stalks here. Uh, we we just we've never done it. We've just always chop. We use a chopping corn head and. We just blow them back out in the field, and, and that's it for us. But we've got our, our neighbor right across the road. They bail stocks every year. And so they're they're right after it this year. They're a little bit slower on harvest for whatever reason. I just noticed this week they are bailing up their first stocks. So uh, I'm not certain sure about that i know they've had some rain in some of the areas especially you mentioned going all the way east to to chicago Uh, i know they've had some rain in some of those areas and that may be keeping some guys out so i think there's some farms that do it on a regular basis and some that don't but i i know what you're saying there's an opportunity that it could be actually worth some money this year if a guy was trying to maximize how many dollars he pulled out of that field that would be another way to do that Uh, for us we're we're just concerned about protecting the soil a little bit and and leaving some cover out there and uh, leaving that residue in the field. But yeah, a lot of difference depending from farm to farm across the country on stock baling. Thanks for the question, Walter. We appreciate that. We'll be right back after this.
5: Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can
1: survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white
0: mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads
1: Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well,
2: rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
0: Talking corn stock rots on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and questions at 844 844- Forty-four Ag PhD got Patrick on right now with us in Southern Ontario with the story for us. Patrick, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, Darren.
6: How are you guys
0: doing well? Oh, pretty good. You got a tough connection there. Uh, are you in a tough cell phone spot, or maybe I'll have Janelle try and get it? Uh, a... Kind Okay, I can hear you Is a little that bit. Any yeah, a little bit. Um. Yeah, Darren.
7: Uh, I'm talking about. Uh, uh, stock rot and i've got a good example of that on my farm um the drainage is
5: extremely important
7: now that i've uh, you know had some spots that have had stock rot because of poor drainage
0: gotcha okay how how long have you been and, uh, working on getting some tile in
7: well i am going to try to get some in hopefully this year before winter comes around um In the past, I had some corn blow down um, and I always thought it was the variety or it was the potash. And long story short, we did some grid sampling and uh, when I look back at things now, at the grid sampling, where all the lodging and all the blown down corn is, is where the poor drainage is, where the poor potassium rates are. So basically, you know, it's just goes to show you how important the good drainage is.
0: Yeah, what a big deal. And I know uh, Brian and I just had a chance today to talk with a bunch of agronomists. And one of the topics that Brian had on his list was what can you do if you've got lodging out in the field? And I, I know two of the things you already mentioned, Patrick, the getting potassium levels up and getting that drainage fixed, were on Brian's list of, of his top five things that you got to do. So that's awesome. I'm glad you've identified the spot. Not awesome that they had a problem, <laughs> but awesome that you've identified it and you're working on it.
7: Well, you know, and actually, I have beans out there that can't be harvested because of poor drainage. I've never had that issue before, but here in Ontario this year, we've had a pretty wet year. And, uh, you know, there's probably $1,000 worth of beans sitting out there that can't be harvested. Well, to me, that's $1,000 worth that should be put into drainage, you know, I'm uh, is is how I'm looking at it. So... And even the beans this year were lodging, and I know it's because of drainage. So, yeah, I can't I can't uh, say that enough how important that is.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a big deal on our farm too. I'm glad you glad you called in with that. How are you coming on harvest though? The, you said you got some beans that are still left out there. You got a lot of crop still left in the field, or, or are you getting down uh, there? A little I bit?
3: haven't
7: I haven't touched any corn yet. Everything is moving very slow in southern Ontario this year. There's probably I would say you'd be lucky if half the beans have been harvested. There's a little bit of corn off, but not much. We get a good sunny stretch for three days, and then the rain comes back. And then you have to wait for it to dry up, and then it's sunny for three days, and then it, the rain comes back. So it's been a really slow process so far. So I, I only have corn left to do, but there's a lot of folks out there that got a long ways to go.
0: Yeah, we'll certainly be thinking about everybody up in Ontario. That I know it's gone fairly fast for us because we've been so dry, but uh, we have, we've we've got some rain recently here, but I don't think it's going to be enough to hold us out. But man, hopefully we can send some mm-hmm. of our dry weather your way.
7: That would be great.
0: All right, well, Thanks for the call, Patrick. We really appreciate it. And if you do get the drainage going, we'd love to hear uh, progress on that too and what you're seeing.
7: Awesome. All right. You guys have a good one. You bet.
0: You too. Thanks. Uh, we've got Connie Strunk with us right now with South Dakota State University talking about stock rots in corn. And Connie, I don't worry about stock rot at all when we've got everything harvested, but man, when I've got corn out there in the field late in the season, I get pretty nervous about this. Is that a that a real thing I should be worried about in South Dakota?
3: It is, and especially this year. It seems like most of most of the fields we've been in have had some variation of some stock rot. It's not just one county. It's kind of across most of the state that has corn. Um, we're seeing a lot of fusarium and charcoal rot out in the cornfields this year. Charcoal rot is not nearly as surprising because we were drought and dry throughout the growing season. And so that one is more of a drought-stressed magnifier for a stock rot disease. This fusarium is... Also, you know, it can be on the, cause the ear ear rots, but it is one, you know, that both the Fusarium and chocolate can withstand in the ground for a long time, so it is something to check for.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you made that point, Connie, that, that they can stick around for a long time because where I've gotten the calls too has been some guys that have first-year corn and they say, I'm in, I'm in a rotation. I shouldn't have this. This normally is only a problem for me and corn on corn, but man, we had a pretty stressful growing season out there. Even the first-year corn is seeing some problems.
3: Yeah, you know, depending on what kind of rotation or what they were planting beforehand, right before the corn, there are some of the diseases that magnify back and forth so let's say they were growing wheat and then they went into corn there's some of the stock rots with the gibberella and fusarium that one feeds off of the other so it can cause a fusarium head blight in wheat which is our asexual stage within corn so they kind of go back and forth a little bit so rotations alone isn't going to manage the stock rots I mean, it is one way to reduce some of it, but when they can reside in the soil for many years or a longer time, it's just not going to be conducive one year away and thinking you're not going to have that problem.
0: So for growers, so with, where- corn, with, growers with corn still out there, Connie, uh, if corn's blown over and it's laying down and it fell over because it has a stock right issue, okay, everybody can see that. But what about the corn that's still standing? What, what should they be looking for?
3: Well, one of the things that we recommend is kind of like a push-pinch type test out in the field to give an indicator if you may have some stock rots, because sometimes you don't know that you have the stock rot until like a high wind comes through and the next thing you know, everything's laying down on the ground, right? So what we recommend is going out into the field, taking a look like at least five different places throughout your field, looking at about 10 different corn stalks and kind of pushing them to about a 45 degree angle. And if that node kind of crumples or if the plant fails to regrain, regain standing back upright, there's a great probability that you have stock rots out in the field. And that's where we would recommend if you're having more than 10% of those stocks as potential stock rot to harvest those as early as you can to delay that lodging. Once they're on the ground, you know, they are susceptible to some of the ear rots with the the ears touching the ground. But just like anything with lodge plants, it makes that harvest much more challenging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tough and we've seen a lot of guys I know we've had that situation a number of years ago on our farm where we had a field we had to go one way harvesting and uh that's that's really painful to do. So if you have one of those situations, so say we had a field that had a lot of stock rot issue this year, what would you recommend they do after harvest and, and leading into the next crop?
3: Well, as they're preparing for the next year, you know, depending on what their rotation is or what they're gonna be planting. Either way, really taking a look at that stock strength or the resistance to stock rots to, when they make their um, cultivar hybrid variety selections, that'd be the good first step. And then also really encouraging their fertility program, you know, doing their soil tests, make sure that the fertility program is on, to- on, on top or on par, if you will, um, their plant populations, you know, really recommend planting more of those proper plant populations to kind of reduce that overload for like nutrients and any of, anything that could potentially stress the plant. So if there is an area where it's poorly drained, you know, working on that or more compacted, anything that could stress plants, obviously drought is out of their control, but anything leading up to that point would be things that they could look at. You know, fungicides, they don't directly control the stock rot, so once you're seeing them already out on the plants, it's too late for that, but depending, you know, if they're having a lot of foliar leaf diseases, you could do a fungicide, which would help um, that plant stay a little healthier throughout the rest of the season,
0: Yeah, if they're having
3: that moderate... uh, high disease pressure
0: yeah i like that mention about plant health that just seems to really play out on a year like this we're talking with connie strunk here with south dakota state university connie thanks for being out we really appreciate it stay tuned we'll be right back
1: when you're ready to harvest more corn drago is ready to help the proven drago series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates Beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more. With a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com. Fill once. Plant all day.
0: One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPHD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
5: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more.
4: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio talking today about stock rots in corn. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a little bit. Or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines are open. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Next on the show, we've got Allison Robertson with us. She is with Ohio, with Iowa State University. <laughs> Hi, Allison, how are you doing today?
8: I'm good, thank you. I'm glad you <laughs> got Iowa correct.
4: <laughs> I was born in Iowa, so I should be able to at least say the name. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> Allison, we are, have been talking on the show here about stock routes in corn. Let me just first ask you this. It seems to me like we've had more issues this year. I'm guessing it's because of the drought. But number one, have you seen more issues this year? And two, if so, why do you think that is?
8: Um, so, yes, I have seen um, a lot of stalker issues, um, particularly in eastern Iowa. And then I've also heard of a bunch of stalk issues. Um stalk rot issues as you go further east, right and so there's um two two reasons so one of the things that we 've got to remember is that um stalk rot occurs w- when plants are stressed, and so what happens is that plants can't fill the ear um, with carbohydrates, so it starts to take carbohydrates from the stalks and the roots and fill the grain with that and once we upset that balance in the stalk and the roots, then we allow um, fungal pathogens that cause stalk rots to get in and start colonizing the stalk, and therefore we get stalk rot. So you are absolutely right. The drought that we've had will certainly um, increase the risk because that put our our corn, our corn was stressed, right? Um, Not enough moisture, not enough um, nutrients, Coming up through that um, stalk to fill that grain, and so going to that stalk to to get more to get more carbohydrates. As we go further east, where they had a lot more rainfall, then we start running into diseases. Um, the big one this year was tar spot, right? And so once we have those those leaves covered with tar spots, or grain leaf spot, or northern corn leaf blight, any disease. Southern rust was another big one. And those leaves can't photosynthesize efficiently. And so those leaves can't make the carbohydrates that need to go to the grain. And so the plant then has to find the carbohydrates from somewhere else. And where does it go? It goes to the stalk and it goes to the roots and starts to pull the carbohydrates from there.
4: Let me ask you about tar spot. I was just talking to a group of agronomists about tar spot and I told yes. them, and these were agronomists, a lot of them from South Dakota and Western Minnesota. And I said, okay. it appears to me that tar spot is moving west further every year because now I believe it's been found in every county in Iowa. It's been found in yes. Southeast Minnesota. So what, what, what's your prediction on when I might get some in South Dakota? Do you see this disease moving further west?
8: Um, absolutely. I think the disease is going to move further west. I believe that I saw a tweet from Tamera Jackson to say that Tar Spot has been found four counties deep into Nebraska. So, um, it's, it's in Nebraska now. And I've, and I'm a little concerned with that because Nebraska, they have the irrigation and we know from, um, Indiana and Michigan, um, the work that's been done there that irrigation um, really favours this disease and so once that pathogen gets there and starts to survive in the residue and build up um, That's going to be a problem when you have irrigation um, I know Emmanuel um, Was out in South Dakota trying to find tar spots and didn't find any in your area of the world um, But um, I wouldn't be surprised if next year it shows up there. So it is moving Um um, it's also moving further east, you know reports in Pennsylvania I can't remember where else in um, in in the east but and then down in Georgia right they also had reports of it down there so it's it's just spreading wherever we grow corn.
4: We worry about this because it's a newer disease. we don't have varieties that have true resistance and yes. in in our area, for example, in western Minnesota, so South Dakota, western Minnesota, even if you go up onto the yeah. east side of, of North Dakota, there's a lot of corn that's raised, and we aren't used to spraying a tassel time fungicide because it hasn't typically paid very well. Well, if tar spot shows up, all of a sudden we might lose 30, 40 bushels, and we go, what the heck just happened here? So I assume that's got to be the concern that a lot of the producers in Iowa have as well. If they aren't used to spraying fungicide. This thing could sneak up on you, you're not expecting it, and all of a sudden you lose a bunch of yield.
8: Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I I, I think um Marty Chilvers, when I was speaking to him last week in Michigan, he was saying that there were some farmers who were losing up to 50% of their yield to tar spot And the other thing you mentioned the fungicide, I mean, we know the fungicides work. You mentioned the fungicide at tasling um, I, so that's one of the things that we're really struggling with is the timing of these fungicides for tar spot. Um, this past year, so 2021 in um, Wisconsin and Indiana, um, they've, they've been finding that a tar spot prior to testling, so around about V16, and after testling at about R3. So two fungicide applications controlled the disease Um, better than that R1 application but then the year previous to that it was one application at R2, R3 and so it kind of depends when the disease comes in you know and then that's and then that's when you target your fungicide so it's 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 not as easy as gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf blight
4: Yeah. And that so this fall, we've had so many calls here on the radio show about tar spot. And that's why I wanted to spend a little more time on it today, because it's been massive yield losses from about everybody that's called in. But the callers that we've had have said, to your point, here in 2021, it was a pre-tassel and it was followed with another treatment at R1, R2, something like that. Two applications. and. Yeah, and, and, and it was big time, but I worry about this because if we say, Oh, it all depends on when the disease comes in, how are farmers supposed to know when the disease comes in? Because if you wait and scout and oh, I see tar spot, well, you're too late already,
8: yes, yes. And you have an um, an excellent point, and um, that kind of allows me to plug, um, unashamedly, um, Damon Smith's app, right? So, um from Wisconsin, he does have an app, the Tar Spotter app, that he's been using, and I believe that it's worked pretty well in um, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, that kind of area. Um, you know, using and it's based on weather data. It kind of predicts when you've had the correct weather um, for Tar Spot to occur, and then you can go in and spray your fungicide. Um, I know that he had a few problems with his white mold app um, because it didn't quite work up in northwest Iowa. And so um, I guess I wonder if he's going to run into similar problems with the Tar Spotter app, you know, in your kind of area of the world. But really that just depends on collecting data, right? And people just using the app and then reporting it back to him, it didn't work or it worked great. And then that allows him to then tweak it. Yeah, so,
4: we, yeah, we've had Damon on the show here several times, and we've talked yes. about his apps and predicting prediction models yes. and that kind of thing. So, yep, mm-hmm. I do think all that is important. Allison, we got about yes. 30 seconds left. Anything you want to leave us with when it comes to stock rots in corn?
8: Um, no. I mean, just, you know, try to get in and harvest those fields that have the biggest problem first, you know, so that you're not harvesting those pickup sticks. Um, and be safe out there. All
4: right. Again, that's Allison Robertson. She is with Iowa State University. Allison, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it as always.
8: Thank you for having me. You bet.
4: All right, we've been talking stock routes in corn, but right after this, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call, 844 44 AGPHD. That number again is 844-442-4743. Stay tuned. We've got your questions coming up next.
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other agphd events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
1: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva Agriscience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicore, SureStart 2 and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com slash power. Keystone NXT is a restricted use pesticide.
0: Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin.
4: Oh, well, we've got a lot, a lot of great questions here in the Ag PhD Mailbag today. Again, I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. First question comes in from Clint. He's out in Illinois. He says, I got a farm that's had crown rot and it really affected yield. Just curious if you guys have any recommendations to prevent that besides tillage. Darren, go ahead. What you got?
6: Well, it's kind of what we're talking about here today. If we get infection early in the season, that's just gonna set us up for a problem the rest of the year. We saw a lot of crown rot this year in some of these fields that were impacted by corn rootworm feeding. And I think if we get back to let's control disease at planting time with an in 2 two-by-two treatment, then you've got rootworm control with a Stacks product and some insecticide, you're gonna avoid a lot of those issues. And then when you're talking to your seed providers, talk to them about these particular issues See if they have hybrids that are more tolerant as
4: well. Yeah, we can talk hybrids all day long, but crown rot is because, in, in a lot of cases, it's because of how your soil is. You have to have the right environment for that. So, we often see more where you have wetter soils, compaction, or your fertility isn't balanced. You've got soil issues. So, that's part of the reason why we like looking at soil tests so much. We want to see. A lot of times I can pick out if a person has a drainage problem just right there looking at their soil test. But then also it's certainly that balanced fertility part. And always we'd encourage you do what you can to reduce compaction on your farm. All right. Next one comes in from Sherman. And we had done a show recently where we were talking a little about herbicides and human safety. Sherman says this. He says, I would respectfully disagree with the statement that gasoline is more dangerous than any herbicide you use on your farm, as you mentioned Gramoxone or Paraquat in your videos. Simply getting Paraquat in your mouth and immediately spitting it out is enough of a dose to kill. People use it to commit suicide in the third world. Very cheap but horrific death. Uh, Sherman, I would say that the toxicity between Gramoxone and gasoline is similar. We do not use Gramoxone or Paraquat on our farm. And that's why I can confidently say that gasoline is by far, and it's not even close, by far more dangerous than any herbicide that we use on our farm. And gasoline is real, real similar toxicity to Gramoxone, which has the active ingredient paraquat. Yeah, I mean, our whole point and why we bring up gasoline so much is simply this: because people want to vilify herbicides immediately because they hear the word chemical. Yet. Just because it's a herbicide, that does not mean it's, number one, dangerous, and it certainly does not mean it's super dangerous. Gasoline, if you ingest just a tiny little bit, you're dead. Yet people go to the gas pump, they real, and they don't even realize, number one, there's it's so lethal, if you drink a little bit, you're dead. But two, it contains benzene. It also contains xylene, which is no good for you. But gasoline contains benzene, which is a proven cancer causer. And people want to say, oh, these other things are causing cancer when, I mean, think about it. For any listener today, anybody listening, when you go to the gas pump, do you put on personal protective equipment first? I've never seen anybody do that. But that would be my recommendation. If you were going to have a herbicide, it'll tell you right on the label for things that are way safer than gasoline that you have to use personal protective equipment every time. Why do we not train people with gasoline and how dangerous it is? All right. Let's get to the next one here. Uh This one comes from Harold. He says, other than Neil Kinsey's agronomy workshop, will there be a live stream option for any of the other clinics or workshops scheduled for this winter? Yes, Harold. All the workshops we are doing in January will be live streamed, and we will give you more information on that at agphd.com as we get a little closer to those dates. Next one comes from Clint. He says, I live in Kentucky, and we use a harrow." right before we plant in the spring, it only works the ground about an inch and a half deep. Will this be enough to use trifluralin? And can I put the metribuzin and authority in at the same time? Uh, Darren, what do you think in terms of answering this question?
6: Well, you can use all those products that way. You're going to lose a little bit of that trifluralin. Any of that trifluralin that doesn't get buried, it's going to be subject to, to volatilization. You could potentially lose it. So, yeah, if you could get some rain right after you put those products on or put them on in a light drizzle, that would be amazing. But, you know, the Metro Business Authority parts are going to be just fine. The Trifleurlin, you're not going to get all of it. For the most part, that isn't a huge deal, but you could do it. I'd say if you tilt it twice or tilt a little deeper, it'd be better for the trifluralin.
4: Yeah, the reason why I don't worry about it that much is you've already got metribuzin and authority that have a lot of activity. If you bury the trifluralin at all, even that inch and a half deep, it's probably going to be enough. You might see some streaks out there. It might not work 100%, but it's still going to work fairly well. So, Clint, I think you would be fine if you do that. Would we prefer to have it just a hair deeper? Yep, we go with our field cultivator at probably... Three inches deep, let's call it, if I can. It might be four, but anyway, we use a little different tool, but a harrow can work. It's just not going to be quite as good, but it's certainly going to be great for that. Authority and Metribus, and those products love very light incorporation, just like what you've described. Next one comes in from Mitch. We were talking about spraying 2,4-D recently on Ag PhD, the TV show. And here was his comment. He said, a plant's metabolism stops when there is no sunlight for photosynthesis, so they shut down at night and won't take in herbicide. He says, I didn't know about the volatility thing, though. Thank you. So here's where what, he, what we had said during that show, because I remember this. I had just made the comment that, look, when you think about the absorption of herbicide into the plant, you you can't say it won't take in herbicide at night because it will. It's just it's going to be slower. And the main reason why it's going to be slower is, number one, it's cooler. And number two, there's more humidity in the air so when it's wetter then there isn't that need for that plant to be pulling moisture in as quickly and so basically what you do when you spray at night is you extend your rainfast time instead of it being 1 hour like it might say on the label i might tell a guy well i'd figure 4 hours or 8 hours or something like that i like daytime spraying because then I don't have to worry about that so much so anyway that's that that's how I would respond to that Darren you got any comments on that at all in terms of spraying at night
6: no you just want to be really careful this is where I've seen a lot of troubles at 240 at dicamba over the years getting towards that evening time period or very very early in the morning and we end up with stuff moving a lot more
4: yep we have much more chance for temperature inversion, and we have a lot more chance that the herbicide's just going to sit on the leaf without getting absorbed in real quickly, like it will happen in the middle of the day. All right, next one comes from John in Michigan. He says I was listening to your podcast from the other day about winterizing equipment. One thing that no one touched on was the monitors in the equipment. He says I've had some problems in the past with displays not working in the spring when we pull out these uh, when we when we pull out the equipment, especially like in the sprayer. So what we what we did is we started pulling these displays out in the fall, putting them in the shop or in the house, in the office for the winter. I think that's a fantastic idea. So, Darren, I don't think I was around for that, that show that you did on winterizing equipment. Uh, I, did that get brought up at all? And what do you think about pulling out displays and storing them somewhere else in the wintertime?
6: He's right on all accounts. That didn't get mentioned. I mean, there's tons of stuff that did, but that's another great idea that that guys should really consider.
4: All right, next one is from Daniel. He says, I'm a small farmer from Missouri. He says, I'm renting ground that is low in fertility, N, P, and K. It's all no-till, and I do not want to do major tillage. Would strip till be better than putting liquid 2 by 2 with the planter? He says, I have RTK GPS, so it would not be hard to do. Uh, My personal opinion is, yes, it would be a little bit better. Now, 2x2 is nice. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with 2x2. It's just when you can ban fertilizer and you can put it maybe a little bit deeper in that row, that's a good thing. And also, we like the seed bed that is left after strip-till better than just in no-till because now we've got some of that residue that's already dealt with. All right, and last one we'll get to here. William asks, does a shank create a hard pan in soil. Darren, we got about 30 seconds. You got an answer for him?
6: Well, any tillage that you do has the ability to create a hard pan, but if you're running a shank that's two inches wide every 30 inches out there, I'm not too worried about it.
4: Yeah, but again, to Darren's point, everything you do creates some degree of compaction or some degree of hard pan, so yeah, relatively speaking, a when we're just talking about a single shank not necessarily terrible but certainly you could end up with compaction anytime all right well before we go i just want to say thanks to our production staff thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions thanks to our guests we had on the show a little bit earlier talking about stock rot and thanks to you for listening and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio